I really do think about the person who's being held back by fear. The person who is afraid and is letting that fear sideline them and keep them seated on this perpetual couch. And the outcome I want is for the my reader to stand up from the couch, simply stand up, own their voice, step into their story. And then I want to walk them from the couch out the front door. And when they walk out the front door, they feel the sun on their face. They feel the wind in their hair. They look around and they see that there is a world in need and that they are the solution to the problems that they see. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, where we inspire your true performance. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we tackle the idea of going scared. If you're waiting to not be scared, to not have fear before proceeding in any direction, we've got a gift for you. Go anyway, uh, because the no fear concept is basically a myth. The spoils go to those who have fear and just go forward anyway, which brings us to our guest, Jessica Honiger, who recently launched a book titled Imperfect Courage, Live a Life of Purpose by Leaving Comfort and Going Scared. And she writes from experience. She's the founder of Noonday Collection, the largest fair trade jewelry company in the world. And she knows firsthand about going big while being scared, which you'll hear about in the show in just a great candid way. And she was empowered by seeing women in some of the hardest conditions in impoverished nations, and they produced good works and had courage, but that wasn't bereft of having fear. So from that, her heart and perspective for others is that there's just a world of need and you are the solution to the problems you see. So get off the couch, walk out your front door and into the possibilities, but be free to do it with fear, not thinking you have to overcome it. As a female founder and co-CEO of a big company, we also got into the topic of women and just what they deal with in the workplace and her own story of overcoming some issues and combating just this very real issue of uh, the thought still of women's place being in the home in some aspects. So it was a candid, fun, and really enlightening talk. So we'll dig in with Jessica right after I share these great resources. All right, folks, here then we get into Going Scared with Jessica Honiger. Well, Jessica, I am just so stoked to have you on with us today. And, you know, as I dug into the book, you start right off the bat with you, your husband, two little girls, entrepreneurial lifestyle, flipping homes. I'm no curious about you before that. I know you talked to it a little bit in the book, but for people to understand the context of you, if we go back into your upbringing, what influenced you when you look back, did it, was it a strong influence for where you see yourself today? So I did grow up with a dad who was definitely a risk taker with a granddad who was a risk taker. And then my mom in the mix kind of willing to go along with all of it. (laughs) even though she would definitely not classify herself as a risk risk taker. But when I was 15, I decided to go to Africa with my church. They were going to go build a building for a new sewing group. So it was a group of women who was learning how to sew and they wanted to start a business for these women. And this is back in the day when this was, I'm a pre-millennial. So I feel like now, like probably every millennial is like, let's go change the world. And they're probably going to Africa at age five. But definitely that was very new. And I really have a lot of gratitude to my parents for letting me go. I mean, I was, it was an adult trip. 
and they were not with me and I went off to Africa. So they really saw some of my fire and they let it burn. And that's not easy because I was a strong little girl and I was a strong teenager and <laughs> continued to be strong adult. And I would say they, they really harnessed that strength and mm-hmm. let me be who I was meant to be. Well, so let me ask you about that. I want to dig into some more about you personally, but on that note, and I know that you work today and advocate for and foster so much entrepreneurship um, as part of your message and especially working with women. And as you know, that's not the norm, your upbringing there and your exposure. And in my own uh, work where I've done a, done a lot of similar work with, with people, so many of them didn't come from that. They're not used to risk. They're not used to trying things. They're not comfortable with failure. And you know, all this too, but as you now take, okay, here's you, you're, you're not the norm. And you're talking with the masses out here. How do you temper that or just address that primarily with them well, I guess that's a part of your book, dealing with fear. I mean, that I've, really is a story of my book. It is, so, it's yeah. like, that's what's interesting. I think that you might experience me as adventurous and experience me as confident, but my inner dialogue is Jessica, you don't have what it takes. My inner dialogue is you probably need to learn a little bit more before you go try that thing. Or it's definitely like not this is going to be a success. So just go for it. In fact, when I was starting my business noonday collection and was meeting with a business coach before deciding if I was going to partner with a business partner, he said to me, Jessica, I've looked through your personality test and it says that you will take a risk only if you 100% know that it is going to succeed. (laughs) Then then it's not a risk. I don't feel like that's a risk, you know? So I would say that I have this get up and go personality, but it's definitely, it's been learning to turn my inner critic into my inner cheerleader because my, I do have fears and I do go scared. And I used to think that courage wasn't a word that I really identified with because I thought courage meant you run into the building when it's on fire and you go stand in front of the crowd and you don't feel fear. I thought courage meant you didn't have fear. But what I've learned through building my business, starting my business is courage is feeling the fear and moving forward anyway. And what I found is that on the other side of my fear is impact and is purpose and quit waiting for your fears to subside instead make fear your friend. So I would say that, yes, on the outside, I I am taking risk. We were flipping homes before starting my, you know, my current business that I have. And you would attribute all those things to a risk taker, but I was doing it afraid. I was doing it, you know, with sort of this inner critic. And that's what I'm learning now how to harness is to more come from a place of worth and of possibility and come from a place of faith and not fear because you can end up at the same outcome, but what's the journey you want to take in getting to that outcome? Do you want to walk to that place of success or failure in fear, or do you want to walk in faith and in confidence? And um, I think that's kind of the switch that I've gone through over the last several years. Well, and I'm curious, just on a personal level, because we're talking about personal development and that journey. And yeah, so maybe you had a comfort level with the platform, the nuances of entrepreneurship, but for you to have that much of an inner critic, when you look back at that, well, or, or that you're dealing with maybe today as well, why? 
Um, where do you feel like that came from? Cause yeah, it would be easy to look at your background and those influences and make you feel like, man, I, I'm, I'm good. I'm go after the risk. I'm confident. And yet you're saying mm-hmm. this inner critic, where is there a catalyst for that? Or is that just, that's part of your personal right. makeup? Right. Well, I, you know, on one hand, my parents believed in me and my dad's just like, you, you, you can do anything in this life. On the other hand, I did grow up in a more traditional home in the South where a woman's place was in the home. Mm. And the, the script was very clear. And it's the script that most of my cousins followed. And certainly my mom had six other brothers and sisters, but th- it was expected for you to go to college, move back home. You actually go through a year. This is my go real left field for you, but there's, I, I come from a debutante where mm-hmm. you actually kind of have like balls. <laughs> I sure. talked a little bit about that in my book. And the idea is you move, you move back home and you meet your husband and then you get married and you fervently support his career. Yeah. So even though on one hand, my parents are saying, go be whoever you want to be. And yes, go to Africa when you're 15. I definitely didn't have a model in my life of, a CEO who was also a really good mom so that you could be both, that you didn't have to choose one over the other. You could run a startup. You could scale a business to be one of Inc.'s fastest growing companies in the nation. And you can be an amazing mom. I remember my first, I think, double digit millions month. I remember when it happened and I texted my dad to say, dad, this is how much we just did in sales. And he texted me back and he said, that's great. Don't forget about your children. So I think for me, there was this sense that, okay, I, I can live in this realm of possibility and I want to create opportunity for the vulnerable. And I want to be this entrepreneur in the world. But then how do I do that also as a supportive wife and a supportive mom? And so I think a lot of my critic, inner critic came from this false belief that I couldn't be both. And so I think for me, it was embracing paradox and understanding that you can be both. And for me, realizing, you know, so much of what Noonday Collection is doing is creating opportunities for women in particular in vulnerable communities that need money. They need work. And as I began to travel and work alongside these women and realize they didn't have guilt about being the both and, well, then what if it's true for them, then why could that not be true for me? And really just beginning to see that um, I had some perfectionistic thinking. You know, I, I thought that if you put good parenting in, then good kids would come out. Well, how do you define good parenting? I think in my mind, good parenting was homeschooling, cooking organic meals every day, you know, serving with my kids, the homeless. I mean, it was like this unicorn. And when I realized that, um, ultimately I can do a really great job as a parent and one of my kids might end up in jail. <laughs> yeah, that's real. I think I was able just to surrender more, let go of a little bit of that control and focus more on loving, not on meeting these, this checklist of this idealistic person who doesn't exist. Um, so I think that was some of it. And then I also think that, um, I grew up 
in a community that really valued appearance. So that mm-hmm. was really important. Um, so feeling like I came up less than in that area of my life, that I wasn't the, you know, I, I felt like, well, if you're the CEO of a fashion brand, then you need to look the part. You need to be the size zero. You need to be able to go to LA and wear the sample clothing. And that's not true for me. So the some of the inner voice came from that. So, I mean, I feel like we all have these inner mm-hmm. voices that tell us, you know what, just play it small, stay seated. You know, you're not going to be able to be really good in that one area if you go do this, you know, or you don't look the part. And I think that is the fear I'm talking about. It's not just the fear of, sure, taking a meaningful risk. Vulnerability is taking a meaningful risk without knowing the outcome. And certainly entrepreneurship is that. We can never 100% predict success. I wish we could. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I wish. I'm it, so glad we can't. It right? wouldn't be any fun. No personal growth there. Come yeah, on. Yeah. Um, but it's also, you know, the fear of just living fully into our stories and of laying down the charades that we play, of trying to live in the perceptions of how we want other people to see us. And, you know, for me going to a CEO event and feeling less than because I don't have an MBA or going to a soccer game for one of my kids and feeling like I need to hide that I'm a CEO. So it's really about embracing the fullness of your story and being confident in that story. And in order to do that, you have to actually own it. You know, you can't, you got to come out of hiding and you've got to live into that. I, I don't know if we can, we're going to have to put that at the end of the show. You just climax right there. And we're not even, we're not even <laughs> no, into this I, thing. I yet. climax a lot. Like, <laughs> yeah, don't worry. <laughs> Everything you just said there. I am so grateful for because a big part of this show of our focus is to somewhat debunk that superhero status that they're going to look at you and think you just fell out of sky and you had a you know silver spoon or you had the right personality style or whatever instead of well that and the whole overcoming thing you know the no fear t-shirts and the whole overcoming thing the overcome means to eradicate and for you to say no it's just doing it anyways which is why i love the title live a life of purpose by leaving comfort and going scared i mean going scared that's i'll wear that brand before the no fear brand can you do you have that t-shirt i well, I have seen that t-shirt. I don't have that t-shirt because I don't believe in it. I don't believe in the word fearlessness. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, if you're lead, if you're live, living a life without fear, you most likely are living a comfortable life. You're not living on the edge. You know, you're yeah. sitting on your couch. You're watching probably too much Netflix. You're afraid to just get up and go because you think I don't have the right connections yet. I don't have the right bank account yet. I don't have the right aptitude yet. And we perpetually are in this waiting mode, which really is just perfectionism, right? We Mm -hmm. think that when I reach this, then I'll get up and go. And then I think you're going to be waiting forever. But I think oftentimes, you know, we think that sometimes we think that the pitter patter of our heart, that fear means, oh my gosh, that means stop. Because if you think about it as a kid, it's like, you know, don't touch the hot oven, you know, like we get afraid if we approach heat, you draw away, you know, I mean, we're, we grow up sort of Um, learning to be afraid, don't get in a stranger's car. But I think that, you know, there's a fear that can actually catalyze you. And there's a fear that when you decide, I'm not going to let this paralyze me, I'm not going to let this tell me um, this is a warning to stop. Instead, I'm just going to make this my friend. I'm not going to let it be in the driver's seat. 
But to think that we can live a life without fear, I mean, listen, that is just, that's a myth. Thank you for putting that out there. We may lead the show with that quote right there. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. So when you, when you look at this journey that, again, I know that's part of the, uh, the book hasn't been out that long and yet there's so many reviews, so much good testimony to it. And so much of it is you weaving in your personal story, your authenticity, uh, in that, which again, I greatly appreciate. I'm, I wanted to talk with you first, but I'm taking the book home to my wife then. Okay, um, good, good. So eager to talk, let her see this as she's going through so many endeavors and uh, going after her own calling. But uh, when you look at your timeline here, what has been a consistent, what would you say is a consistent primary driver of you? What right. is that muse out there that can, keeps you going through the good, the bad, the ugly, all that? Yeah. You know, for me, there has been a common thread that I can recall even back to elementary school, but I would say in middle school, it really crystallized. And it is this idea that I've been given given a lot of opportunity in my life, Mm -hmm. and I am to use that opportunity to create opportunity for other people. So this idea that opportunity and power is regenerative, and how can I use what I've been given um, in order to multiply impact and opportunity for somebody else. And even though my path was so windy, I mean, I ended up majoring in Latin American studies and then I went overseas after college and helped assist midwives. And then I taught and then I came back to the United States and got my master's in education. And then I worked at a jewelry store and then I got a real estate license and I started flipping houses. I mean, you can start having some vertigo when you actually hear (laughs) about my path, but through it all, through all of that, I was always on this search of how can I use my life to create opportunity for others? So even if it didn't come through my nine to five, I was going and mentoring on the side, or I was trying to understand homelessness in my town, or um, I consistently traveled to the resource, more resource poor areas of the world um, throughout the last, you know, 20 years, just to look at other organizations and how they were doing it. So I would say that is something that has consistently um, been present in my life. I had no idea it would end up in jewelry and a direct sales company, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I'm very happy it did because fashion is really fun and parties are fun. So I mean, I I love my job. Um, But of course, you know, I I really love it because we're we're changing the world. Well, and I I wondered that and I understand the changing the world part. And I think that's what stands out for everybody regarding you and what you're doing and your business more than anything. But it is interesting. I know you talked to this in the book about not being the consummate fashionista, that was there a time when things were going well, maybe when you had that multi-million dollar month or whatever, but you step back and said, Oh my, how did I get to here doing this thing? I mean, was that still something or now does it feel fairly comfortable? Like it makes sense to you or can you still step back though and say, this is a vehicle I just never would have thought and almost question yourself, your place in that now. Well, it's interesting because I have retrospect obviously, which is, you know, it's easier to look back and suddenly things make sense than when you're in the middle of it. 
So when I described my background earlier, certainly at the time, those things felt very random to me. You know, why am I working at a jewelry store for a year? Um, Why am I getting a master's in education? Why am I living overseas in Latin America? Um, None of it ever really felt like I had landed. But looking back, and when you begin to sort of see these common threads, oh, well, my mom has always loved accessories. I I grew up going to jewelry stores with my grandma. Um, I really love gathering women. I believe in the power of showing up for one another. Entrepreneurship is in my family. I mean, when you stop and actually write a book about it, it Mm -hmm. starts to really make sense. Um, But certainly, I, I just feel a deep gratitude that this gets to be my work and a gratitude that it gets to be other people's work too, quite Mm -hmm. frankly, because that's where there's so much joy is there's so many other women out there like me that feel like, gosh, I have a heart for justice. I have a heart to create opportunity for the vulnerable, Um, but I also need income. I also need to earn money for our family and, um, to create opportunity for those women. You know, we have now around 2000 women around the country now that partner with Noonday Collection as our social entrepreneurs, our ambassadors, you know, that, I mean, there's so much joy in that. And, um, but yeah, of course, every day I'm think I'm like, pinch me when, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you mentioned the power of women and so many women, and I got to admit, I'm thinking about my, uh, wife, who's one of the most amazing people I've ever met. And she has a heart for some specific things. That's just second to none. And you talk about, but they may feel like they need to earn, uh, you know, money. And I think her question or her concern goes to what you speak to so much in the book is being a mom and mm-hmm. not only the cultural strains that we have, but also just the realities of, of being a mom to, uh, to kids who you want to, do your best with. So, you know, we all, I think we all know the concept. Every woman who's in the audience right now hears it. I hope every guy in the audience understands what we're talking about here. And I want you to speak to that. I know you do in the book, but what are some of the specific highlights? I remember reading in the book, you know, the part about your initial angst with getting a nanny. And I thought that totally, totally makes sense. So, but I'm just going to throw that at you and just ask you, what are, speaking to the women who are looking at that, yeah, I have a heart for this. I'd love to go do this. I have a vision. I have a calling, but I'm a mom and you know, all the strains over there. Right, right, right. Give us your highlights of what stands out to you. My highlight, when I was pregnant with our second, I traveled with my husband back to Guatemala, which we had lived in Guatemala previously in our early twenties. And we were going back to the village where we had worked. And I remember going into this hut to visit a family that we had grown to be very close to. And there were about 15 women in this hut and people are making the tortillas and getting the soup ready. And the men are sitting down getting ready to be served. And I remember there was a little two-year-old there and I could never figure out who the two-year-old belonged to, who the mom was, because the two-year-old was just being passed around to 
all of the women in the hut. And there's this idea of tribe, this idea of the kids belong to us, that we're in this together. And I, when I became a mom for the first time, I felt so isolated because I had had these experiences of seeing what it was like in many other countries in the world. And I think that is a mindset that more women need to embrace, that we we need to be okay with asking for help. I look now at, at like some of the nannies I've had over the years and, you know, now it's babysitters. We don't need a full-time nanny anymore. My kids are in elementary and middle school. And the, those women have influenced my children in the most amazing of ways. Mm. And my kids have gotten to see that it's not just mom. It really is a tribe of people that they get to learn from and they get to be parented by. And that doesn't mean it's not an indictment against me. You know, the fact that, you know, I, I had a nanny when my kids were younger, um, you know, and I come home and they we're happy <laughs> and we're joyful. And, you know, I think that really embracing this kind of, it, it's about us. It's us. It's not just on me as the woman in the family to raise my kids. Um, I can't stand the term when a dad says like, oh yeah, I got to babysit the kids tonight. It's like, no dad, you're not a babysitter. You are a dad. You're co-parenting with, with your wife. And I think, you know, that was a lot too, just working alongside my husband. He promised me on our wedding day, he said, I promise to do whatever it, it is in my power to see God accomplishes his purposes in your life. And that's made, he's made sacrifices because of that. And he saw that I was clearly stepping into my calling and this business. And so he, he also, you know, really came alongside of me. So I think um, a lot of it is just really embracing this concept of sisterhood and that we are not meant to be doing it alone and asking for help isn't a weakness. It's actually a strength. Okay. You just mentioned your husband and it pulled me back to the dedication in your book, that promise. So I'm going to read it to everybody. The dedication says for Joe comma, who made me a promise once that changed the world. So you just heard the rest of the story. So the rest of the story, thank you for that. I want to ask about your kids and granted your business is tremendously missional. It, combines, you know, altruism in that, but I want to step out and take that out because everybody out here, every woman may not have, uh, the thought for a business that's specifically altruistic to your degree. So I'm going to separate that out and just talk about the business and ask you, what has the business having a business running a business? What has that given positively? What have you seen it give to your kids not take away from? Exactly. Well, I think that was the turning point when my oldest was kind of old enough to actually have kind of an adult thought, I, you know, and sure. you're suddenly like, oh, you're not just a baby. She, I think it was about six or seven years old. And I was putting her to bed one night and she said, mommy, I'm so glad that, that we adopted Jack because if we wouldn't have adopted Jack, then you wouldn't have started New Day Collection. And mm. New Day Collection has helped so many people around the world. It's helped people in Uganda and people in Rwanda. But mommy, it's helped our family. Wow. And that's when I realized that my business wasn't at the expense of my children. It was for their flourishing. And you will, 
talk to my kids today, they have been in so many adult situations now. They attend our sales conferences. We take reward trips with our ambassadors. And I've taken my kids with ambassadors to Uganda and to Ecuador. Um, and, And I would say that my children have a really strong sense of self, a strong sense of confidence, my daughter, even the other day, she said, mom, there's a new kid at my school. She's kind of like me. And I'm like, oh, what does that mean? Oh, she doesn't really care what other people think about her. Oh. And I, I have to attribute some of that to seeing her own mom step into her story and lead and bring my kids along for that journey. And, you know, my kids were just at my uh, first book launch, which was in Austin, and it was a huge party. It sold out. It was amazing. And they, I had people coming up to me saying, your kids just came up to me and asked me my name and what do I do for a living and what brought them there? You know, because I've told my kids like, Hey, create a space for someone else to feel heard and seen and known that that's how you can use your influence tonight because people think you're special because you're the, you know, the kid of the author. And, and so, man, I, I would say it has just been so influential on my children to actually be a part of this business. Well, and seeing your courage, uh, which I want to talk, I want to, I want to come to you as I hear you talk about the example, uh, the influence that, 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 that the folks in these, uh, these women in these other countries, these impoverished places in essence have had on you. It dawns on me that, yeah, when you talk about courage, as you talk to other women, let's say American women, that you're joining them. And and yeah, what a great, aside from even your own story to point at these women in these countries, in these circumstances, and to see their courage, Mm. what a great message to come over here and go, how can we not, how can we not? It's gotta be a big driver, a big convicting point for everybody who comes in contact with you. It is such a convicting point. And I would say that in so many of the stories that I share in my book are, women who are overcoming so many things, especially in countries where women are not given a voice, where, I mean, in India, where abuse is commonplace. There's one of the women that I sat with in India a few years ago. Her name is Sunita. And Sunita is the manager now of a jewelry workshop that we partner with. And I'm, si- I'm sitting in her jewelry walk- workshop. There's about 30 people there busy making our products. And she begins to share her story with me. And she says that she used to be in an abusive marriage. She actually didn't know that she had a right as a woman to you know, stand up against her husband. She just thought this is just how men are. And she didn't even know she had legal rights to stand up to him. Well, she got this job and it, part of her job training was also to learn about women's rights in India. And she was able to begin to number one, stand up to her husband and say, this isn't a healthy marriage. This isn't the way I want to be treated. Number two, she gained power in her family because she was earning an income. And then she began to become a manager at the workshop. So that leadership helped her grow. So she's in fact still married to the same man, but now they're in a flourishing marriage and she's got economic power in her family. And yeah, you look at, I mean, that's honestly, that's what keeps me going. It's what keeps me going every single day. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, a year ago, I was sitting in Uganda with an artisan who had had a very brutal situation happen. And there she was at work fighting for her children, um, fighting so that they could, you know, be in school and she could earn an income for them. And uh, absolutely, I do. I feel this solidarity 
with my sisters around the globe. And I do believe we're more alike than different, you know, and um, I think that when we embrace uh, our likenesses and not just, you know, harp on our differences, we really do come into a more empathetic space, which enables us to want to act on behalf of, of people that need, need us to act on their behalf. Well, when you make that statement right there about women coming together, I mean, you have a chapter in your book, chapter eight, I believe that not only mentions collaboration, but I recognize it was the commitment to right. collaboration. So speak on that. Cause you just, you just hit a bit of that point a minute ago. Yeah. I think that when we learn to choose collaboration over comparison, when we choose to make generous assumptions about one another instead of judgment, when we choose to believe that her success doesn't diminish my success, you know, someone else's success actually doesn't take away anything. You know, in fact, success can be multiplying in a lot of ways. And I think when we can really embrace that and commit to that and commit to showing up for ourselves and then showing up for others. And instead of thinking, oh, you know, someone else is going to do it, or she probably doesn't need any help because she's got it all together, or she probably hears this all the time. I don't need to compliment her, or she just moved to town, but I bet she's got a million friends already. But instead, when we choose to see that we are the solution and that she is our sister and we have a part to play and you commit to this lifestyle of collaboration and it's so it's, it, it's very much makes you feel alive. You know, you never can feel passive or like a bystander when you choose to believe that you are the answer to the problems that you see and you don't need to wait. You just need to go scared. That's extremely empowering. I still want that shirt from you guys. Go scared. Okay. <laughs> okay That's the one it. I want. I'm going to be the only guy with that and not the no fear okay, shirt. I'll customize one for you. Thank you. So your book, I mean, I could easily hold it up and say, okay, this is a business entrepreneurship book. Yeah. Well, it's a personal development book. Well, it's actually a woman's advocacy book. Well, it's a pursuing purpose book. It's about ministry and minis- and missions book. Uh, you know, you, you cover some tremendous ground, which is what makes it a great package. What makes your business a great package. Where, who's your avatar when it comes down to it? Now, granted, you can reach a lot of people and I'm not trying to, to limit it at all, but where does your heart go out towards that you want to read this book and what is the outcome you want them to have? I really do think about the person who's being held back by fear. The person who is afraid and is letting that fear sideline them and keep them seated on this perpetual couch. Mm. And the outcome I want is for the my reader to stand up from the couch, simply stand up, own their voice, step into their story. And then I want to walk them from the couch out the front door. And when they walk out the front door, they feel the sun on their face. They feel the wind in their hair. They look around and they see that there is a world in need and that they are the solution to the problems that they see. And that's why I'm so passionate about this message because it is so many things, but it does lead people ultimately to owning their part in creating an impact in the world. And that's why I am really excited about the message. Yeah. 
Well, I am too. That's why you're here. And I know the book has not been out that long. Just um, two weeks. Well, two weeks, but you've been living the message for a while. I know you speak and, and you know, but looking at the, at the book, has there already been, well, gosh, I've seen, you know, the iTunes, you've got a ton of reviews already, but has there been a specific testimonial, even if you can't pull that exact one out, but the essence of, of a testimony that you've gotten on already, that's just, it's kind of that deep breath of, Oh yes, that's, that's what I wanted. I mean, I'm humble to say I have, I have gotten so many, but I, I think a lot of them are the piece that I've actually been really excited about are the, the sisterhood piece, the going together piece, the, the people that have realized, you know what, I've been more apt to judge and separate and isolate and go it on my own. And now I'm choosing vulnerability. I'm choosing sisterhood. I'm choosing to make positive intent um, because I think that ultimately we've got to learn how to go together in this life if we're really going to bring flourishing to the world. So I, I get pretty excited about those stories. And again, I know the book hasn't been out that long. Well, you know, you've gone through the galley copies. People have read it. Has there been, as you go through, and I'm looking at it right now, there's 12 chapters. Has there been a specific chapter or message within the book that you're hearing is it's a popular one that people are coming to. And I asked that too, because as I was stalking you on Facebook, I, I think it was there that I saw somebody say, Oh, oh my gosh, Jessica, I read, it was like chapter four and the words that right, it just blew me away. It was something like that. So I'm wondering if you're seeing already a thread of, Oh, that chapters that's resonating a lot. Yeah. I've really heard chapter seven, which is called the sisterhood effect. Hmm has really resonated with people. And again, I think it just calls out our human tendency to compare and to diminish someone else's success and to not be prone to celebrate others. Um, I think that's really resonated with people in particular and the sisterhood effect. It's the opposite of the bystander effect, which is this sociological phenomenon that the more people that are around during a crisis, the more likely it is that person that's in crisis is not going to be helped because everyone assumes someone else is going to do it. Wow. Someone else knows CPR. And so my call is to really say, Hey, we're, we aren't bystanders. Don't choose to be a bystander to your life. Don't be a, choose to be a bystander to fellow humans that are in your life. Choose to own your story, stand up and own what you uniquely have to give. And that message has definitely resonated. You know, here's a question just popped into my head that I don't think I've ever asked in the hundred some interviews that I have done now is as you wrote the book, uh, or looked you know, got into writing it. Was there, if you look at it now, was there a chapter or specific area that you were the most eager to write? Most eager. I would say that there, the chapter around vulnerability and empathy um, chapter five, yeah. because I just think that again, it's, it's this theme that I have around human connection. Yeah. And I think that so much of us, we all long to be seen and to be known and we long to be connected. Yeah. And the only way we can do that is if we can show up to our full selves, not pretend we can practice vulnerability. And then on the other side of that, that the person who's receiving that vulnerability can practice empathy and not judgment and not advice giving, but just really create a space. So I, I was really excited to, to talk more about that. And that, that is where I share the story of our Rwandan attorney who survived the genocide hmm. and, you know, heard his family actually um, get macheted to death and 
walking with him as a friend and now and seeing how he's been able to overcome so much of, of his story is, is something I was really excited to get to share with the world. Well, you mentioned vulnerability. And so I got to tell everybody, as I look at the book here on my desk, that there is a testimonial on the book right in dead center from Brene Brown, who is who I think of with vulnerability. And that That's alone true. tells you a dramatic amount about the book, especially what she said, but I'll let you guys read it when you buy the book, which everybody's going to go do now. <laughs> I, I got one more question for you because, and I think it's because you do have so much going on and, uh, you know, so many different, uh, branches of activity. I, so I meet every week with uh, a group of guys, we do do life together. And one of the things I often ask is if it doesn't come up in conversation is what's occupying your mind most right now. I mean, these are my close friends and I, in, in years past, there'd be some time when something would happen. I'd go, my, I had no idea. How can I be this close to a friend of you? And I did not even know this was going on. So I want to know. So it's what's occupying your mind right now. And so I'm going to put the same question to you. Obviously the book's coming out and maybe that's it, but right now, what is that thing amongst your business or family or the book or, yeah. or whatnot? That's kind of been that germ of wake up in the morning. And that's kind of where your mind is directed over the past day, week, weeks. Right, right. Well, thank you for asking for thousands of people to listen to. Um, yes, exactly. Say, yeah. <laughs> I've really been dwelling on gratitude. I think um, a lot of entrepreneurs live in this space of possibility and of what could be. And my book hit the 24th best book after the first week, Hardback Nonfiction. And I celebrated, but also I was like, well, why isn't it in the top 10? And I just can have a little bit of, I, I, I'm driven. I'm driven towards what I think could be possible. And in some ways, that's my strength as an entrepreneur because it keeps me driving forward. It keeps me future oriented. It keeps me as the visionary of the company to keep leading people towards this outcome of building this flourishing world. But it can also create um, a lack of gratitude and contentment and being present to the good that is happening and to the people that have written reviews and their lives have been changed. And so to not find so much value in the volume, but to find value in the experiences that people are having and really feeling deeply grateful for that I've been thinking a lot about that, and I really want to learn that lesson. I feel like that's the lesson God would want me to learn. I don't want to look back and feel like I was just pushing that whole time. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. Um, and that's a great place. Because I am grateful now that you've taken the time to share this message with us. It'll be an incredible gift to the audience as it has been to me. And actually, I have two extra copies of your book, and I just thought, oh my gosh, I have a daughter that... Oh. is going to love this message. Um, so thank you so much for your time you, and for doing what you do. Thank you so much. This has been such an enriching conversation for me. Good. Thank you. All right, friends. I know a lot of you got massive inspiration from this show. You can connect with Jessica at her website, Jessica Honiger. That's Jessica H O N E G G E R. 
www.thebookmarketingmonday.com. Of course, you can get the book there or you can get it wherever you buy books and really encourage you to get the book and dig in, go to her website and get involved with what she has to offer. And you're going to be hearing more from her in some of our upcoming shows here. If you got value from the show, will you let Jessica know, leave a review in iTunes at the Ziegler show and mention this specific show, mention her name. It's a huge blessing to her. And of course it helps us a lot by helping other people know what they can expect from this show. Well, I'll let you know what's coming up in our next show, right after I share these great resources. Coming up next in show 616, we hear a serious message from Zig Ziglar on how vital and profound the picture is that we have of ourselves. And the key to our success is changing, improving, elevating that picture, believing more for ourselves. Well, from this message, I posted this question on Facebook. What has been a primary resource that has helped change your self-image for the better? That has truly improved how you view yourself and what you believe yourself to be capable of. I actually posted a video and shared my own. And uh, gosh, last I looked, I think it's got five, 600 views already and a lot of incredible responses, really in depth. Uh, And it's so in depth that I'm actually switching the format of the show. I'm going to do it solo, no co-host. So I can really just devote the time primarily to just sharing, reading uh, you what people shared. Uh, It was just really open, really vulnerable stuff that people gave. I think you'll find it to be one of our most intimate shows to some degree. Well, till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.